You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifled barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tapicue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your queue. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 85, Eric Gunn, Way of the Hunt, and Roadkill Denial. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick is joined by Eric Gunn, outdoorsman, chef, and creator of Way of the Hunt. Eric loves to use wild game in his dishes, getting inspiration from his Sicilian heritage. Nick and Eric talk about the season of the wild harvest, pheromesis, going on right now with hunters. Also, as a Maryland resident, he was denied picking up a roadkill deer. His story coming up soon. Eric also gets into some high-level cooking and using some unique parts that you're going to want to plop into your stock. Stay tuned for an exciting new episode of Huntivore. Oh, 
Well, hey, folks, welcome to an evening edition here of The Huntivore. Um, a song came on the radio as I was coming home, and it really just fit the tune of really where my world is at. It's for, it's an oldie. It's a goodie, though. It's from Cage the, Elef- Cage the Elephant, and it's uh, There Ain't No Rest for the Wicked. Money Don't Grow on Trees. The does are in heat. The bucks are in runt. But there ain't no tree for me. That's how I'm feeling today here, Eric, is, uh, man, I, we got to get out. The rut is on, and I am in the midst of just personal chaos, work chaos. Oh, yeah. I tell you, this is the life of being a bow hunter. Am I right? Can I get an amen? Yeah, it's, it is. When it's the rut, it's, you got to put your time in a stand, and it is just something that it could, it could end in 20 minutes. And it can also end in 14 days. <laughs> and for me right now, it's looking like it's going to be a grind. Oh, man. And I've, I've been seeing a lot of does. So I want to start with, I mainly am bow hunting deer in Maryland. And uh, man, it has been it has been a grind this year. I've been seeing tons of deer, but I've just not seen any. You know, during the ride, you want to shoot that nice buck. And... Fortunately, I haven't I haven't even seen anything bigger than a forky this year, uh, so that's that's been a roller coaster. But all that can just change in a minute. I mean, that's the magic of the rut. So exactly, exactly. Um, I was lucky enough to get does early. I got two does already in the freezer, and then. I got my uh, my salvage buck, which we'll get into that here. The little salvage button, um, he just adds to the the grind pile and really just kind of pads up the uh, the space there in the fridge or excuse me, the freezer. Um, but yeah, I uh, I've got a new thing where you know I think the Drewries and their moon phases. I'm not sure if they were completely accurate on those. You know, there, there's evidence that proves it. There's evidence that doesn't. Then yeah. there's the then there's the the storm fronts or the the cold fronts or whether you know barometric pressure whether it puts deer on their feet or not. I'm, there's evidence for both of those. Here's what I'm finding is that so far this season, when things are stacked against me, be it time, be it I need to be someplace, that is when the deer appear. That is when they are there. And yeah. right now, I'm in the midst of conference week for school i have my wife already coming down on me saying we already had the she she had the talk already of how many deer do you need and it was like we're not we're just into november and we're having this discussion so there's so much stacked against me which tells me that when i get out tomorrow i'm going out tomorrow evening and i'm doing as long a sit as i can um i'm gonna try to get out midday it's going to be one of those things like I think magic is going to happen because there's so much pulling me away that something is bound to happen. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get too too deep in this, uh, let me do a quick intro here. I am sitting with the Instagram uh, of Way of the Hunt, and that's your Instagram handle. He runs this uh, this handle. This is Eric Gunn and uh, Native of Maryland or transplant to Maryland? No, I'm I'm born and raised. Born and raised there in Maryland. You you're a bow hunter, you're an angler, full on outdoorsman, and you enjoy 
being in the kitchen as well. Tell us a little bit about you, Eric. Yeah, so first of all, we the hunt is just something that I started as fun. You know, I love bow hunting and I love cooking and I love, you know, where where bow hunting brings brings me. It uh I mean, bow hunting takes you to some of the most beautiful country in the world. And I love documenting that. Uh, like I've had a lot of great hunts out recently out west. And my goal is to do that every year. And uh, yeah, just uh, just trying to document whatever animal I get, you know, what magic I can make in the kitchen as well. So uh, that's something I love doing. I love, uh, I just, I just love the whole experience of it. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to go after these amazing wild animals being white-tailed deer and then bring that into the kitchen and feeding your family. That's, that's what I live for. That's my, that is my absolute Zen moment when I've got the hunt done, I'm packing in the meat, it's going in the freezer. And then my brain goes to, what am I going to make with the shanks? What am I going to make with the ribs? What am I going to do with the loins? You know, that's, that's when I'm happiest. So that's what I love doing. A little background for me. Um, I'm in the restaurant business. I've been in the restaurant business for about 15 years now. Um, and I really started loving cooking from my grandfather. Um, half my family is Sicilian American. So I ra was raised in the uh, classic Italian crazy household of every Sunday. It's, it's seven courses of dinner and it's pasta, soup, salad, dessert. And it's, it's, I love that as well. So I try to replicate that a little bit at home nowadays. Uh, not as much though, cause I'm trying to lose some weight. So, but, <laughs> but that's the household I was raised in. And my grandfather, he was a hunter. Um, although in his later years, he didn't hunt as much. I kind of was raised with him in his later years when he was in his eighties. So he, by then he was like kind of mostly a upland game hunter, but this, my grandfather, man, he was like a hard worker. He was a grinder. He worked in, uh, he was a car salesman for years and then eventually owned his own shop. But man, like the way that guy cooked, you would have thought he was like a five-star chef. Like he, in his kitchen, he brought in pretty much commercial grade kitchen in his basement. So he had to blow a hole in the ground with the excavator to get this stuff in his basement. Wow. And that that's how much he loved cooking. He turned his basement into a damn near professional chef kitchen. So that was cool to see his passion for cooking and family. And that's something I still try to keep as a tradition to this day and bring in wild game. There's nothing better than, cooking with wild game and adding that to the connection as well. Gotcha. So the, man, that's just a rich history right there that not only on top of the hunting aspect, but you said the, there's the passion for food, which that's driven you to be even in the, in the restaurant business. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, being able to apply the, the hard earned protein, be it yeah. whatever you're chasing after then to be able to turn that, that into meals. 
that's a yeah. that's a great background and I love that whole idea that you've been like trying to just document what you're doing with it with with your handle it's uh it's been a lot of fun um I know recently like we've gone back and forth on you know you'll have a photo and I'll make sure to, to like it and then at the same time I see that you like something that I posted and so it's like this little like tit for tat we've gone back and forth on on the Instagram but it's just fun to be able to then hear your backstory and where your passions come from it is fun to see too like where people find their their inspiration so yours yeah. being your grandfather's that's that's super cool yeah he was a cool guy he um he really he was like he never did it professionally but man when he goes home and not working that was his that was his place to be was in that basement cooking sunday sauce sometimes he would get like a bird or something like that and he would do like this out of out of this world he would do like a pheasant franchise sauce so he would take the, the breast flour it fry it a little bit and then some white wine capers lemon juice parsley it just ah oh, man those, those and then blue crabs too like in maryland you know we have blue crabs so he he used to have a place in the eastern shore until it, uh, it actually used to be part of the blackwater wildlife refuge uh we had a property out there which is beautiful. That's beautiful country. That's um, actually where a lot of people are talking about sick of deer hunting. That's where a ton of sick of deer are and great deer hunting there, but also you have great duck hunting, fishing. It's like a wildlife hunting, fishing mecca out there. But uh, we used to have property out there until unfortunately uh, we had a farmhouse that burned down. Uh, Sucks as a childhood, you know, being able to go there and then uh, have that place pretty much, they had to sell the land. So they sold it to the Blackwater Wildlife Refuge. So <laughs> I can still go there and hunt and do all that stuff. So it's kind of cool that that property is still being used today for hunting and fishing and stuff like that. But yeah, he would, he would make a, uh, he would make linguine, where he would take Maryland blue crabs, steam them. Once they're steamed, not fully, fully steamed, but 90% there, he would take them, crack them open, saute them with garlic, olive oil, and then put marinara sauce right in a pan with linguine, toss that. Oh my God. That's like, that's that's the be best eating you could have in the world right there. That's oh, like. That's heaven right there. Yeah. That's good stuff. I, uh, yeah, the stuff that we get here in Michigan, um, we've got, uh, oh, what do we got? We don't have any full on big old, big, we don't have any big crabs. If we had some blue crabs, I mean, we're freshwater, so we got plenty of different, uh, species of fish out there and the Great Lakes do offer a bounty of that. But yeah, crustaceans just doesn't seem, we got a load of like little stuff, but man, nothing big enough to be able to snack on. So to hear about yeah. blue crab, that's really super exciting. Yeah. Blue crab. I mean, Maryland is really, it's a fishing and hunting paradise. Like you could go all the way out to the mountains, be bear hunting and also hunting mountain whitetail bucks. You have upland game. You have the whole Chesapeake Bay, which is some of the best fishing and crabbing in the world. On the Eastern shore, you have bucks the size of, they, I mean, they can get really big. It's been compared to Iowa in some ways, but I want to keep that kind of quiet. <laughs> 
in Maryland. Just like you hear, yes, there are no big bucks in Michigan. There are no no big bucks in Maryland. I was delusional in saying that. So, (laughs) and then you have the ocean. You have uh, you have great fishing out there, tuna fishing, all kinds of fishing, and then uh, also now sicka sicka deer hunting is becoming really big, which I've been trying for years. But man, those things are it's tough hunting. in the swamps with the mosquitoes and the heat it it's uh it's not easy but uh that's one of my goals is to get one of those i haven't done that yet but that's on the list good good yeah ever since the mothership be it meat eater was uh was showing that show it has just blown up everybody i'm sure is flocking over to maryland they got the secret out they really did (laughs) they really did there's a ton of -of out-of-state hunters block in the Blackwater Refuge and the Eastern Shore right now because everybody wants to get a sick of deer. It's like this cool little deer. Well, it's an elk. It's basically a sub-elk species that makes this crazy weird bugle and you hunt them in a, in a weird swampy woodland forest type of environment. It's There's nothing else like it in the United States. So, gotcha. And then Here's in the a meantime... Native. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say here's a native guy who hasn't even got there yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've been hunting in that area, but I've never, I have I've not gotten them. They're tiny. They're it is a lot harder than white-tailed deer hunting. I mean, they're tiny and they're they're elusive, and the numbers are are good, but they're not they're not great. It's not as they're not as common as you know, white. Right. But they're out there. They're out there. Oh, good deal. Good deal. Well, hey, Eric, there's a couple of reasons I really wanted you on tonight. And one of them is we are approaching my I'm going to say that it's my favorite holiday of the season that I I enjoy Thanksgiving so much. A number of reasons that, you know, my my uh, my father and my brother run a poultry farm. And so it's turkey exclusive. So this is our holiday so that everybody's coming to get their fresh bird. Everybody's coming to get their, you know, farm raised birds. So that's that's been a big thing of my upbringing. So it's really a busy time. Um, But with that, it's this idea of the harvest. And from this idea of being able to, you know, I'm watching crop farmers at this point bringing in their crop that, they spend long, tired hours this part of the year, and then even as livestock growers, you know they're they're trying to get things into slaughterhouses. We're bringing our flocks in to be to go through our processing plant, and there's just this this period of hard, hard work. And at the at the same time, when we approach the end of that, when you get the end of the harvest season that you're able to look back and see the fruits of your labor. You're able to see the sales that happened, or you're able to see the the bushels that you put into the silos. It's a really great season to show reflection upon the gifts that we've been given, the opportunities that we've had, and at the same time to be able to now to share that, enjoy the spoils, actually rest, and be able a chance to, you know, circle around with friends and family. It really is a season that, that I really do enjoy um but that's you know it's from a domestic side but now it's even as uh as a hunter too like being able to 
Granted, I know it's right in the middle of whitetail season, but it it causes it causes me to pause and just think about this whole idea of being thankful for the opportunity. At the same time, you know, we can talk about how many points. We can talk about how big the deer are. But even putting down a single animal, there's just this whole overwhelming feeling of gratitude that I have towards that animal. Is this? Are these ideas that kind of resonate with you, especially when it comes to this time, you know, be at the rut where it's crazy, and when you finally get that harvest? Is this? Does some of this ring a bell? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you got to be grateful to the animal that you harvested. And I think it's, you know, it's your job as a hunter to take the meat from that animal and cook it to the best representation you can. I think that's, that's the homage that you need to have for that animal. And, you know, Thanksgiving is a beautiful time to do that because you have your whole family around you have all this protein and what better way than to make it shine by cooking it in front of friends and family. So it's, it's, it's important. I've even went so far this year. I've been trying to get uh, some other important ingredients for, uh, for Thanksgiving coming up. (laughs) I just, after my black bear hunt, which I got a black bear uh, in Virginia, I went to, I heard about this cranberry bog where you can go find wild cranberries. And I got my cranberries picked already for Thanksgiving. So all wild cranberries. And then I'm planning to do all sorts of cool dishes with that. And also to incorporate wild game with that as well. So that that's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, you have to be extremely thankful that hunters can do this every single season, especially nowadays with uncertainties. Like we, we have this meat shortage that's been going on. So to be able to have, you know, the highest quality protein that literally money can't buy and to be able to have that, I mean, that's what, what else is there to be extremely thankful I mean, it's, it's, it's a blessing. And then being able to go out and experience nature and able to pursue an animal, that's an experience of itself that deserves things. Like right now we have the rut and every morning at three 30 in the morning, man, it's, it's rough getting up. But as soon as the sunrise happens, it's, uh, it's, you just got to be thankful for, you know, it's part of the chase is something you got to have thanks for too. Exactly. To have the, the health and vitality to be able to be a part of the chase. Yeah. Uh, that the element of the sportsman at that point where it's like, it's me. I don't like the verses, but at the same time, it's it's me, the hunter out there chasing the animal, trying to outwit the animal in order to make it be an ethically clean kill to then be able to then harvest the most that I can from that. I think you hit the nail on the head exactly with that. Yeah. Um, so you got yourself a brown, or excuse me, not a brown bear. Oh my goodness, a black bear down in Virginia. Tell yeah. me about tell me about hunting the bear. How was that? Yeah. So I've first of all, I've always wanted to get a black bear. Ever since I went out to Washington, we met these. We first of all, I have uh, friends out in Washington State, and they had a baby, and 
my girlfriend and I, we went out there uh, to meet our brand new goddaughter. And they're out in Wenatchee, Washington, or close to it, which is the apple capital of the world. Also great hunting out there, a lot of black bears. And uh, we met these homesteaders out there and they gave, gave us some black bear. And I've always heard that black bear was, you know, there's a lot of people that talk a lot of trash about bear meat saying that, it, you know, it's, it's almost inedible. Some people say, and uh, yeah, we, we, they gave us some like a whole bunch and it was kind of funny flying back. I had, I had, I had bags of uh, frozen bear meat going through TSA. So uh, I, I brought it home. I cooked it up and tried it. And I was, I couldn't believe how good it was. I mean, it was comparable to grass fed beef. It was, there was no off taste to it. I mean, I had cooked it pretty, pretty simple, like uh, just salt and pepper and cooked it like, like a steak, made sure it was 165, which, you know, it's not ideal that you have to cook black bear to that, but the flavor is still there. The fat is extremely good on black bear. So anyway, that trying that, I was like, man, I got to get a black bear. <laughs> I got to figure out how to do this around me. And I did my research. I looked up the best areas to hunt black bear and it's actually right close to me in Virginia has some of the best black bear hunting uh, in the Eastern United States. I would love to do it in Maryland. I've applied every single year for a lottery, but fortunately I've never gotten a tag for it. And there's a, there's a lot of uh, conversation behind that right now. Um, people are saying that a lot of tags are being bought by, animal rights organizations, and then they basically throw away the tag. So there's a lot of talk and discussion about how, how that should be changed around um, because there's, there's not many opportunities to hunt black bear in Maryland unless you get that lottery. So, but in Virginia, it's general and in West Virginia, it's general. So I decided to do it in Virginia. It was an hour and a half away from my house, packed up everything, and got a cabin and uh yeah i was like right outside the national forest 10 minutes away woke up hiked up the mountain did some scouting and yeah it was a three-day hunt and on the second day i got it done and i was i was amazed i saw 10 10 black bear in that whole trip and uh man it was just an unbelievable experience just i i never knew that you could go up to the mountains and see black bears in numbers like that. Like I, as a lowlander, pretty much have only seen a black bear maybe once or twice and being up in the mountains, trying to get in their core area, man, you, you see them. <laughs> like it was crazy. I was in a, a acorn and hickory patch on a, on a ridge on the end of a ridge that's where I decided to set up because I've always heard that at the end of ridges, bears like to bed up in the mountains where it's really rocky. And then they, in the evenings, they descend downhill, go into lowlands. Some of them like to try to get into towns and stuff like that, or they'll try to get into the ag, uh, like cornfields, soybeans and stuff like that. Um, so I kind of set up in between that area just looking for sign with my, my saddle. And I set up on the second, first day, 
I saw five bears. <laughs> and uh, yeah, on that second day, I harvested that bear. And uh, it was one of the craziest hunting experiences I've ever had. Wow. But, so it's, it wasn't even over bait or anything. This was merely just this trying to get just, between you and what no, food would be. No, you cannot bait in Virginia. So it's literally just hunting over that sign. And fortunately this year, um, it's been a pretty heavy acorn and hickory uh, drop. So they were up high, you know, just eating chestnut oaks, hickories. And uh, yeah, I just, I just did my scouting boots on the ground and found an area there's bear scat everywhere. And they make pretty, pretty very visible trails. Like it's, it, it look, when you come across it, 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 it's much more defined than a whitetail trail. So I just set up on there and man, I, I had a blast. So it's something I'm hopefully going to be able to do every year because man, after a month of, or a little less than a month of getting that bear, my family has just been enjoying it. They've been looking at me like, man, where, why can't we get more of this stuff? Where's this stuff been in our, in the freezers though? That's so cool. That's so cool. So how's the, the bear fat? Have you been able to render some of that on that and use that as uh yeah. grease? Yeah. So that, that bear, unfortunately I got it a little too earlier than I'd like. It had fat, but it didn't have like, you hear about bears having this crazy amount of fat. And uh, I got that bear about beginning of October. So it's just when they're starting to really pack on the fat. Um, but I was still able to get quite a bit of fat. Like I got about, oh, at least 15 quarts of fat. So it's still quite a bit. I was going to say, yeah, that's going to last you a while. Yeah. And uh, the bear fat is tremendous. Like it's, uh, I mean, I would almost compare it to a milder lard. It like kind of has a nutty taste, probably because this bear was eating so many hickory nuts. Like it was literally... Uh, in a hickory nut patch and it was just like looked like somebody had taken a hammer and smashed uh, hickory nuts all over the ground so wow mainly that's what they were eating I mean I've I've heard bears I've heard people talk about bears and they're inedible and I have just not experienced that I don't know maybe that was the bear that I've I've tried but man it was like some it is some of the cleanest meat I've ever tried in my life and that's that's god honest truth and I I'm a, I, I love deer meat, but right now I would jump over a whitetail to get some bear meat again. <laughs> it's a bold statement right there. That's bold. Yeah, it's good stuff. So, and uh, yeah, it's great. We can use the fat for baking potatoes. Kind of want to do uh, a bear confit. So basically take um, a tougher piece of bear meat, confit that in the bear fat and then use that meat, put it over like some polenta mashed potatoes, use it for pasta, little charcuterie board. And then you have this fat that's got all this aromatics, garlic, use that for potatoes cooking. I mean, the possibilities are endless for what, what you use for that fat. It's awesome. Yeah. As we get into November too, like immediately, like your, one of your latest posts, you were, you were posting a stew. 
and then you were also talking about the biscuits that you made um, and a good old lard biscuit, especially here in Michigan. We ended up with biscuits and gravy because some of these mornings just get frigid and you need something to last you a long time and nothing's better than a like a beautifully done lard biscuit. And you're yeah. finding the, the transition from, you know, from, you know, I, I've used beef tallow. I've used uh, regular lard from from pork. And you're saying that bear is right up there with with both of those as far uh, as making yeah. biscuits. Yeah, absolutely. It's up there. I mean, it's the fat I got off this bear was incredible. I mean, it was about as clean tasting as you could get fat. And it doesn't it's not like deer tallow. It doesn't have that. Uh, waxy kind of taste to it at all it's very very clean so almost eerily clean it's like i want like man I'm, am i eating bear fat like is like i've just <laughs> it, they get a really bad rap but i just i for whatever reason i can't understand maybe these are bears either eating garbage i don't know but this bear man he is in the mountains eating nothing but hickory nuts and probably corn if he went down to the lowlands and acorns and berries. So if you're eating all those things, what, what could go wrong? You know, exactly. So plants are the pelt. I know this isn't food related. Are you going with a carpet? You getting it mounted? Is it just yeah. going to be one of those conversation pieces that goes on the wall? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm just going to do a, just do a rug and then uh, I'm getting to, getting the skull uh, you're mounted. So, but no, I did this hunt really for the meat. Like that's just something to add to the freezer and a, a wild game fat that is super versatile that you can use for baking, sauteing. Um, also, I've heard beaver fat is pretty good. Um, so that's something I'm trying to get as well is beaver. Um, and, you know, it's kind of hard because, you know, venison fat, it's just it, it can be very rough sometimes. So it it's tough. You know, I, I really crave in wild game kind of that, uh, marbling of fat and bear really checks all the marks for that. I mean, it, it's phenomenal. Exactly. So. Exactly. There's something about the makeup. Yep. It's just there. Now there are, there are folks out there that have experimented with, uh, with venison fat and, and come up with some pretty good ideas but you're right. When you get into the thick, waxy tallow, it's it's hard to do the marbling. the The critter is made to be lean. It's made yeah. to be an athlete. You know, there's there's nothing you can do about it. Versus, you know, with the the bear being an omnivore, and I I think I relate more with the bear just for the fact that like the lifestyle that they live, where you mean all I gotta do is walk around and eat, get fat, and then go to sleep. I, yeah. I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see where that marbling really does kind of like, all right, yeah, this really enhances things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's just the makeup of that critter that it's one tends itself or one leans itself to using the fat where the other one doesn't. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just something else to the freezer where it's like, you want a little bit of that fat, you know, you want some of that, um, you know, it's, Right now it's great. And I've been doing stews and chilies and that's perfect where it just kind of braises and cooks for a long time and just kind of melts. And that's, that's been awesome. Not, not that whitetail is not good. Not good. I love, I love venison. 
But man, just Bear is just on another level with me right now. So, well, hey, I I crave the opportunity. You're not the first one that I've talked to about bears, but at the same time, like there's little those those little notes of like, well, I got to yeah. figure out a time to get me some bear or go chase one down myself. Yeah, the only downside is there is the risk of trichinosis, so you do have to make sure you're cooking that thing to be safe. They say 165. There's debates also 145, and then there's the whole curing rule that says. It's okay to cure it, and then there's half that says there's still risk of trichinosis from curing. So there is that to bear. So there are some limitations, but man, if those things didn't have trichinosis, oh, it it would I I I would I would be darn sure to be cooking some bear backstrap medium rare all the time. And I've heard people that sous vide at you know 145. And they say that's perfectly safe. I haven't tried that yet, but uh, it's something on the list to try. Yeah, but with caution. Exactly. Exactly. They, I think it's the idea of not just the amount of heat added to it, but at the same time the duration. So yeah. going at a lower temp for a longer period of time. Yeah. They have studies have shown this. Uh, chefs have shown this. At the same time, it's definitely risky world you know i i told the same thing like when my actually episode 84 the one previous to this i talked about my celebration meal of my dough and making tartare so i made tenderloin tartare and the idea was too that when i talked about it i want to make sure to say i just didn't like make this willy-nilly this isn't something that i didn't have qualms about making it before and just pulled something out of the freezer let it thaw out sit on the counter like this was a this was a thought process that when i pulled that uh tenderloin out it immediately got sprisked with with vinegar thrown in a bag vacuum sealed into the freezer for a week and then when i pulled it out i didn't even let it fully thaw out at that point it was it was still pretty 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 stiff on the inside so when i went with that hand chopped it was nice and cold there wasn't that opportunity to do that but this i wanted to make sure i preface that there was that preparation aspect because yeah fielding all the questions or like people are like oh that would be so cool but yeah what about getting sick off of it like did you feel sick the next day and no i i felt great i was actually amazed at how filling raw meat can be not to say that you know we we had one tenderloin. It was a pretty good sized tenderloin, but it was like between me and my wife, we were both like, yeah, we're full. And there was yeah. a, just that little bit that it's like, oh, I would love to put that in a Tupperware and eat it tomorrow. But it was like, no, no, this isn't the idea to eat tomorrow. You you yep. eat it now, you enjoy the experience, and then it's done and over with. Yep. Yep. That's the, that's, that's the risk you have to, you have to play. But to be honest, wild game i have more faith if i'm doing the right thing than you know your dollar store meat or frozen meal <laughs> I, ha- I have much more faith in eating that and being fine than you know some questionable uh, mass-produced meats not that you'll get sick but all the god knows what's in it and preservatives much much rather you know be dealing with wild game than that kind of stuff so but yeah, there is precaution that you you definitely got to take. 
I've got a couple different tangents that I want to go down, but I think I'm going to pick the one for another reason, Eric, that, uh, again, episode 84 here, the second part of that episode, or is it, no, it was the first part of that episode, I talked about uh, just the reason why I pick up Roadkill. And having to explain that to not only people that I'm close to, and finally I was like, you know what, I'm just going to like lay out everything about why I'm doing this and see if that resonated with anybody. And the the more more of the comments and, and outpouring I got with that were people really on board with that idea that, you know, it is not a regulated thing that we need to pick up roadkill as sportsmen or as hunters. But at the same time, people, I think, uh, see the the glory element to the animal. They see the honoring aspect of this amazing creature that we're chasing, that this is some high-quality venison that we can use, and we should. And so people have the chance to do that. And here in Michigan, it's actually, I mean, it's very easy to, not only in abundance. I mean, I, I had, there was one this morning that I saw on the way to work, and I was like, hot darn, I'm going to be, I'm going to rub this in Eric's face that I found another one. But at the <laughs> same time, as soon as I dropped the kids off at school, turned around to try and go get it, another buzzard already picked it up. So oh, I, uh, I missed out, you know, at the same time, I like, you know, uh, you know, his, his win, my loss, but there's always, there's always, yeah. there's always tomorrow. There's always the next day. Yeah. But, uh, you alluded to me that you had an interaction with a, roadkill i don't want to say aficionado but actually a roadkill agent of the government yeah I I, gave I this, uh, <laughs> what was my my headline here oh it was uh yeah roadside standoff maryland roadkid officials strong arm thrifty sportsmen yeah like, tell much. us more about this story where you were denied eric denied yeah. roadkill yeah i was denied roadkill as crazy as that sounds and yeah, this story is crazy. So I live in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is has some of the highest deer population in Maryland. So we get a lot of roadkill from whitetail deers, especially right now during the rut. And uh, yeah, right outside my house, literally as you pull out, there is a dead deer on the road. I was on my way to go hunting, had all my stuff ready, had my knives, had Everything's set to go, and I see this dead deer. I'm like, huh, there's a deer. And I was like, man, I should salvage this deer. Now, granted, this was a buck. And this is going to play an important role later in the story. So I park my car. This this road has plenty of room. It's also at 12 o'clock. There's zero traffic. This is a pretty slow road. I pull my car over to go inspect the deer, right? I want to check it, see if it's okay, you know, see where it got hit. The deer got hit in the head, and actually, I didn't know it was even a buck at first because the antlers had gotten totally smashed. It got hit in the head, which, you know, if you're going to salvage anything, if it gets damaged to the head, that's really good. That's less hemorrhaging. Uh, Probably, I mean, the meat probably would have been totally fine and it literally happened that morning um so literally i'm like all right i'm gonna take this thing so i got my tarp out and everything ready to go and barreling down this road with this rinky dink trailer filled with 
God knows how many deer is the highway patrolman. And he is parked in the middle of the road, doesn't even bother to pull off his trap, me and my car from now kind of veering off the road. And this guy looks at me like I am something crazy. And he starts giving me an earpiece. And man, oh man, I, not to take away from this guy's job or anything like that. This is his job. But man, this I have never gotten in a weirder interaction where I'm just trying <laughs> to, to, you know, get the, use, salvage this deer. You know, this is an animal that just just died maybe an hour before. And, you know, I'm trying to use it. And I was pretty much attacked by a highway patrolman threatening to get a police officer for me attempting to salvage that deer. And there was some colorful conversation there from me and from him. And ultimately it led to, uh, it was all within his rights to take that deer. And I actually could not have taken that deer. There's, I found out that there's a permit, which you have in my state, you have to spend a hundred dollars for. And then there's also some other things you have to go through. You actually have to take it to an inspector, which I don't, I've never heard of a, a roadkill inspector. For deer processors, I don't know if they inspect roadkill. Never even heard of it, seen it. Um, but yeah, that was like just a mind blowing thing. Like, my God, I'm trying to get this deer to use it, and it's just going to a trailer with 20 other dead deer. It looks like something civil war and i'm getting accosted by this guy for doing that it just blew my mind and also too what i think it happened was um this guy had probably seen that deer maybe or it was called in but it was a buck and in that guy's trailer he had a bucket full of deer antlers. like the biggest bucket of deer antlers you ever see in your life so I'm pretty sure this guy was, you know, he takes a deer and then if it's a buck, takes off the antlers, puts it in a bucket and then goes on about his business. I don't know what he does with it, but I think that had to deal with definitely why he was so angry to see me trying to take that deer just because it was a buck. But the antlers were pretty much damaged. I mean, I didn't even know it was a buck at first because half its head got smashed. But yeah. Yeah, that was unfortunate. <laughs> Gotcha. So yeah, through your through your adventure, like taking uh, a step back and being like, okay, well, why 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 can't I do this? Why why is the state of Maryland uh, not allowing me to do this? You you end up finding out that you you have to go through a permit process in order to be even one for like this guy's job to be able to be even pick up roadkill. You have to go through a permit process. Yeah, and even even with the permit process, he was saying. Well, he was saying it was illegal to take that deer because it was on highway land. So only he could take that deer is what he was saying. I have to really do some more research into this. And honestly, there's not many resources out there uh, to figure that out. So uh, I'm going to have to probably call the DNR or something like that. But there is there is a. There is a process where you can get a form and pay a hundred dollars, but 
but it is extremely vague. I honestly don't even know anybody that's ever done that. But I mean, it, it's funny that you posted that on the same day that this happened to me. And it opens the conversation, you know, how can you use this resource that's literally littered across the road? You know, there's hundreds of thousands of tons. I would maybe not that much, but there's, well, yeah, I mean, there's thousands of deer that are killed on the side of the road. Uh, a lot of them are salvageable that should be put in the food system. Um, you think about right now, we have a meat shortage crisis. Uh, you know, that that could be brought back into community if it was given to the right hands or just families. You know, if you, like for me, I could not take that deer just right off the road, which I found out there's a whole process and $100 to do that. So to me, that's just kind of crazy that that you have to go through that process. And then also too, in certain certain places, it's illegal to take that deer. Uh, the highway patrol only has access to that deer. So it's a, it's a system that I really think needs to change. It, it should be more available. There should be programs where you can get the deer if it's in good condition, like there should be some sort of uh, process where it's much easier to acquire. Uh, and then also too, I found out that deer that are taken, they're incinerated and then put in a landfill. Like that's, that's a, that's a very sad thing too. You know, it's, we as hunters, we love venison and a lot of us really take pride and getting that high quality protein. And then to figure out that the state takes these animals, puts them in a giant incinerator, burns them, and mostly takes them to a landfill. It just, it, it makes my skin crawl a little bit, you know? And I think that needs to change. I think there, there needs to be some sort of program where this, this is getting into people's kitchens, people's homes into the community homeless shelters um because it's just being wasted right right so it is one of those two like i i do agree with what you're saying and that's something i advocate too just for the you know basically the individual to be able to do that i do know that alaska has a program where that is exactly what you what you're describing that game animals cannot be picked up on alongside the road. There is a there are certain units of the either highway patrol or whatever it is that then pick up that animal and then actually take them to uh, slaughter facilities and then they go into either soup kitchens or food pantries and it is it is used. That is the program that is the intended purpose. And at the same time too, like I think they just stop people from like, dude, you're not gonna move that moose. <laughs> As much as you want to try, that thing is way bigger. You're going to spend too much time. You're going to end up getting hit by another car. So I, I guess I do understand where, where that's coming from. But yeah, the state is kind of you know left on this, uh, you know this catch twenty two. Well, if we're not going to let, if we're not going to let people pick them up, but we got to do something with them. You know, incinerating is basically the easy way of doing it. The old old way of being able to just to get rid of the issue. But at the same time, like, I mean, here it is, 2021. Everything else is changing. Everything yeah. else is getting a revamp. 
maybe maybe some of these salvage uh, yeah. policies need to get uh, revamped as well. I have seen some pro program that's in a minority where they do take some of the deer and they put them in huge mulch piles and then they kind of break them down and distribute them in gardens and stuff like that. Uh, which on the other hand too, it's kind of like, well, Maryland has CBD, uh, CWD, sorry about that. Uh, is that, is that the best thing to be doing? You know, you have these suburban deer that eat bushes and trees and the city is mulching down these deer, composting them, and then putting them out for possibly contamination with deer. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's great and all, but I, I just worry about, uh, is that possible contamination as well? I mean, it's better than going in an incinerator, but I don't know. It's, uh, it, the system does need to change. It's yeah, it's 2021 and you know, the world's changing and, you know, we got a world where there's a meat shortage, there's homelessness at a record number. And, you know, there's tons of qualified people who could get this protein to these facilities and feed, feed some families, you know, it's, it's sad. Yeah. Well, Hey, not to put you on the spot, but uh, I'm going to task you with, uh, with this task, Eric, I want you to dive in. I want you to become the first lobbyist for Maryland's salvage uh, (laughs) revolution. Yeah, yeah. We'll, I'm, I'm all I'll for check in with you having, later to see where you are at on it. <laughs> after having that interaction with that state patrolman, I was like, man, that's it really kind of got my advocate, my trying to advocate this problem and death got my blood going. So I'm like, man, this needs to change. This is just wrong. You can't, you can't tell somebody who's trying to feed their family. They can't take uh, an animal that's been killed by a car you can't tell them they can't take that home. That's, that's just crazy. So yes, I will lobby for getting roadkill properly to people's table. Good, good. <laughs> At the same time, Maryland, uh, excuse me, Maryland highway patrol. If you're, if you happen to tune in and you're hearing this conversation, you need to, you need to weigh in. We need to know your side of it as well. So along with us sleuthing into, uh, the antiquities of Maryland salvage policies. If you want to just write in or uh, email into huntivore at gmail.com, I would love to field your answers and your questions as well. I, I don't know. I highly doubt that they're listening, but at the same time, there's always, there's always, you never know. Yeah. You never know. know. Or if there's somebody who's a representative with them that works with them. I mean, the, the more, I think the more awareness you can get to the situation, it, it just would be much, much more of a way to get awareness to this, that, you know, you can feed people with, with this thing that's just wasted. So any, anything that helps. Just want to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. 
got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share, or have some show topic ideas, email us at huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company, who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. We're now coming into the crescendo of our show. This is the two dish breakdown okay this is it steaks cooked medium rare can i get my steak cooked that want no question you hungry hey ma can we get some meat loud we're doing the booty and you heard the booty come on get it this is where i'm going to give you two scenarios and i want you to describe what you're making and ingredients that go into it and process that goes into that as well. Um, I had one here already. I still want to know a little bit about Brunswick stew. Um, chili is a big thing here in Michigan, but at the same time, something that's not only has ground uh, ground meat in it, but then has sausage in it as well gets me excited. Uh, so talk to me about your Brunswick stew that you make up. Yeah, so my Brunswick stew is kind of the homage to the fact that I got this bear in Virginia. Brunswick stew, they say that it originated in Virginia. And mine is very close to the classic, although I did add, I have some really beautiful uh, hickory smoked venison sausage that I added, added to that. But then also I put bear meat in that as well. Um, and it's pretty much stick to the classic. It's a tomato-based stew. And then you have your celery, tomato, or sorry, celery, carrots, onions. And you cook that in there as well with your tomatoes. You can also add uh, a little bit of barbecue sauce. Adds a great flavor to that. Uh, Worcestershire sauce. I put a little bit of soy sauce in mine just as a little bit of, uh, gives a little richness to it. And then you, I, it's a great way to clear out the freezer as well. Like I'm pretty sure every family has like frozen corn or something like that. Throw that in there, frozen lima beans. That's a classic. You have to put that in there. And then also uh, I had tons of okra from this year. We have a small garden and okra grows fantastic because it's super hot and humid and they thrive in that. So threw some okra in there and yeah. So basically you take, you take your meat, you brown it, take it out. Once you have that fond, add your vegetables, sweat that down, deglaze it with your tomatoes. You can use canned tomatoes, fresh tomatoes, put that in there to deglaze, put your meat back in, cook that for like an hour. And then you put your meat in there well, put your meat in there. And then after an hour, put your corn, put your okra, put your stuff that cooks much faster in there and just kind of let that cook low and slow and serve that with biscuit, cornbread, saltine cracker is also a classic thing. Like a lot of barbecue places love doing that, but yeah, it's great. It's a, it's like a perfect wintertime stew 
with just like a little bit of smokiness. If you can put some smokiness or cured meat in there, like a ham hock would be great in there too, or Virginia ham. Man, it, it doesn't get much better than that. But yeah, that's uh, something I did as an homage to Virginia for getting me that black bear. So I loved it. I loved it. And then yeah, to to add even the uh, the bear biscuits that you had yeah. alongside of it. It was just a perfect, perfect. Well, I th- yeah, a nod to the Virginia bear. It was very well done. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned you were uh, Sicilian in uh in heritage here and done a lot of work with with pasta um i'm gonna let you in on my project that i'm working on i i have a brother-in-law he's he's not sicilian but he's gotten into his pasta making he got he got one of the pasta machines that goes on the end of his uh kitchen aid he's got all the fancy flowers uh, or the oh what's the semo semolia is that Sem- the semolina yeah yeah, so he's he's bought the the flour, ends up make making the dough, and pressing it out, and he he's wanting to get me involved with it. We've, we're putting together a couple uh, um, ideas on some dishes that we're going to make. One of which he wants to make is like a he wants to make a chocolate pasta and then make a ragu to go along with it. So it's like we've got some some venison ideas going on there on paper that we're working on, but the one that I am super excited for is. I salvaged off my first dough was a what was the liver just clean I didn't have I was able to get uh the gallbladder off and it was just this pristine cut that uh because I put it right through the the boiler maker that the gut pile had nothing wrong with it and I was able to pull that and salvage that and I am just so excited to make a pate ravioli Ooh, yeah. is there have you if you've gotten into ravioli making, what are some of the things that I'm going to be wanting to think about as I'm, as I'm preparing this? Yeah. So for ravioli, uh, definitely want to make sure it's a little thicker than pasta. Uh, when you're, when you're sheeting it out, cause you don't want that thing to be too thin because of, then if it's too thin, then it's just kind of this like mess and it doesn't have a structure to it. And definitely with like pate, that would be a mess. You don't want pate running out all, all over the plate. Right. But you want ravioli, it's something where it's like you want it thick enough, but not too thin. So finding that balance, I would say you probably want to do it just a little bit thicker than what you would do like a, a pappardelle, just slightly thicker. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah, are we talking was, eighth inch? Are we talking quarter inch? Well, like on your, uh, like I have that same exact pasta sheet maker. So I think the smallest is like yeah probably like your eight setting which is probably like i don't know quarter inch or something like that okay um yeah i would probably well not a quarter i would say i don't know how thin it is but probably on your like third third thinnest setting you want to put it to for ravioli is gotcha like six or five is like perfect all right on that on that machine and then sheet it out and then yeah just make sure your pate is cold and uh make sure prick it with a little little toothpick boil it and yeah serve it with like brown butter and sage and that would be like awesome good good yeah we were thinking like a like a garlic cream sauce or a garlic garlic mushroom cream sauce in with it yeah yeah 
That would be awesome. Yeah, I'm actually starting to get into, uh, I got some uh, shanks that I want to braise them and do like a pappardelle with. Or uh, there's this Greek dish. I've, I've worked in many, many Greek restaurants and Greek food is great. It's, it's like a fusion of like Mediterranean and Middle Eastern flavors. Like they have cinnamon and oregano and olives and feta. And uh, there's a dish called uvetsi. And you basically take shanks and you cook them in this wine tomato sauce with garlic, cinnamon, uh, and a lot of oregano. And you cook it until it's fall off the bone. And what you also do as well is you put orzo pasta in there. So the pasta literally absorbs all the sauce. And it's like kind of like this pasta risotto velvety dish that you put a ton of Parmesan cheese. You can put feta cheese. You could also use this Greek cheese called uh, Cassieri cheese, uh, which is like a uh, kind of milder Parmesan. And uh, that is a great dish that I love to do. Is, oh, man, that's I'm like, a shank man, too, so that, this that is, is, like, like, right up my alley. Yeah, so it's called Uvetsi. It's really good. Um, and with venison, it's perfect. And then, yeah, so you could cook your shanks, and then if you want to do the Uvetsi, whatever leftover you have, pull it, and you can put the orzo in there, too. So it's, like, kind of a dish where it's, like, you could do it initially, or you could do it with the leftovers. Um. So it's a great dish. It's it's a it's a dish that you don't see a lot, but it's a, it's a tremendous dish if you love shanks. Oh man, and I that, love shanks and I love leftovers. So this sounds yeah. right up my alley, right there, right yeah. where it needs to be. Yeah, it's awesome. So, but yeah, I love pasta. Um, you know, being Sicilian, that's something that I love. But I also love like the old world foods too. Like the next deer I get, which will probably be a buck uh or a late season dough and then i also have an elk hunt so right now i'm kind of conserving what i'm putting in my freezer um i want to do a tripe dish so there's a there's an italian sandwich called a lampardetto sandwich and it's you take the tripe of beef but i want to do it with venison cook it in broth until it's like almost pull apart but it's still got a little bit of structure a little bit of bite to it you get some really good crusty bread and you put a verde sauce on there so anchovies parsley vinegar parmesan cheese you can put in there a little bit of mustard garlic and that verde sauce with tripe it like it's sounds really weird and terrible but in florence italy like the the old men eat that stuff at like six o'clock in the morning with the espresso espresso and uh man that is good stuff and i think that would be tremendous to do with like a a venison tripe the only thing is getting it from the field to my house and then cleaning it and not having my girlfriend yelling at me (laughs) for making a mess so that's that's one of my goals (laughs) For now, the next tripe year. is, yeah. Now, I know it's, I mean, a deer is an ungulate. It's got several different chambers, but literally, if we're, if we're going to talk about tripe, tripe we're talking about is the actual largest chamber of the stomach, correct? And then you've, 
once you've opened that sup- suckered up, cleaned it, washed it, you're stripping it out almost as like a, a pasta at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a stripping of the inside lining? I think it, don't you have to scrape the inside lining or is it just yeah, clean it, strip like, it, away it goes? Uh, from what I remember my grandfather doing it, he would take it, clean it all out, and he would boil it with like a little bit of uh, – he'd boil it in salt water and like a little bit of vinegar to like blanch it kind of. And then he would cook that sucker for like a long time. Usually he would love to do it like uh, uh, Roman style. So like in a tomato sauce, garlic, um, and just braise that thing forever. There's also a French dish that's really good for tripe uh, that this is really ambitious that I want to try. It's, uh, it's, what is it called? Oh, it's a uh, tripe a la mode de con, I think, I believe. And it's, it's a town in Normandy, France, that they have the uh, Calvados, which is, it's a apple brandy or uh, liquor. And uh, basically what you do is you take tripe and you bake it with chicken stock, vegetables, carrots, cider, Calvados, and then calves feet. So I want to do that with venison. So do the tripe, do the venison trotters, and do that kind of classic old world French dish with venison. But like just the idea of like cooking that forever with like some cider, I've had it before and it's fantastic. I think that would be a perfect old school, like fall dish, like an old world dish that would be perfect for fall. Yeah. That's yeah. another thing too. We're talking about roadkill and using that. Um, I'm trying to push myself to try to use the wobbly bits a little bit more. Uh, the only thing is, getting it from the field to the kitchen and then not getting yelled at by your wife or better half or girlfriend yes. for making a mess is the challenge. <laughs> Cause man, that's the uh, tripe. It's, it, it is, it can be really foul to deal with, but the end product can be absolutely amazing. So like something said, I'm very, very ambitious, very yes. ambitious, very ambitious, but you know, we're in, we're in, you know, 2021, and, you know, I think back to the time of like my grandfather growing up in the depression and that was just what they had to do. They had to eat every bit and they had to figure out how to make it taste good. Cause that was, um, that was what, what they had available. So I'm trying to go back to that mentality, you know, how do you use every last bit to taste delicious? And then, uh, you know, also when you go to a deer processor, uh, that's the one thing that you see a boatload of is deer trotters, like civil war pile of, they get the big pliers, chop off the feet and put it in a bucket. Yep. But you can definitely use those. You can, those can be definitely used in a stock, make it very, uh, you know, it has all that gelatin in there, the, the any animal foot. So I think that would be an awesome thing for people to try to, anybody try to experiment with trotters. I mean, Look at pig trotters, look at calves feet. I mean, you can make some phenomenal dishes with those. So why not deer feet? Why not? You've, I think you've hit the nail on the head too. Just like that's been one thing that I think there could be some love given back, back to the trotter, especially the venison trotter, whether yeah. it's going into broth, stock, whatever you're trying to make with it. But it, it, yeah. it does include, yeah, washing the foot, 
uh, skinning it out, taking the hide off. It's just I think another... it's the little hoof. I think it discourages people. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it, you can totally use it. It has that gel gelatin, um, like the shanks. Think about when you cook those. It's that gelatin. It's that breakdown of collagen, and the foot has all of that that the shank does, just yep. with a little less meat. So, my my little dog is going to be very upset with this conversation because she's <laughs> like, no, no, those are mine. I get yeah. those as soon as you lop them off and then you throw them on the ground, I go hide them. So I'll have to probably sacrifice. I'll use three because I'm going to have to sacrifice <laughs> one. She's yeah, gonna you can't, can't make the dog upset. <laughs> no. you, have to, you, have, you have to somewhat keep the dog happy. So, All right. Well, hey, this is our last one, and it's going to be a doozy. So the Maryland Highway Patrol is sick and tired of Eric Gunn trying to get their deer, their dead deer off the side of the road, and they've decided that you're done. They're putting you down. They're sending you to the electric chair. You're going to go into the the incinerator with the deer to the landfill. <laughs> but they are going to give you your one last meal request. So for your last meal here on Earth, what would you like, Eric Gunn? Oh, it's got to be wild game, by the way. Yeah. So I would definitely do a venison soupli. So that's an Italian dish. It's basically risotto that you – It's uh, you take shanks, once again, take shanks, cook them in a tomato sauce with garlic and all this, put some arborio rice in there, the arborio rice cooks and absorbs all that flavor. And then you have that velvety shank meat. You put some mozzarella, let that cool, put some mozzarella cheese in the middle of that. You wrap it up, put it in breadcrumbs, and you deep fry it. And man, that is like, that is my comfort food. Anything with like velvety, succulent shank meat with arborio rice that's cooked, it's nice and fluffy, it has that sauce. You're deep frying it, and then you have mozzarella cheese in the middle of it. That's, I would die happy with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I want to die with you. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's a, uh, it's like a very, it's like in Rome, it's like their uh, hot dog. It's called uh, soupli. It's like these little, little fried uh, rice balls that, you know, they're like a euro in Rome, but. I've made it with venison and it's like, yeah, it's blows my mind. Yeah. But, um, anything with shanks, just give me a shank, braise it forever. And I could die, die pretty happy right there. So I'm not too picky. Gotcha. Well, I, I'd say that. Yeah. Like that's a good way to go out at that point, flip the switch, fry you up and you're still going to be, uh, still be, still die with a smile on your face. Yeah. Yeah. So, Eric, this has been an awesome time to be able to share with you. Uh, for my listeners, go ahead and just tell us where can we find more from Eric Gunn? Where can we more find more from Way of the Hunt? Yep. So I'm on Facebook, and then I'm also on Instagram. And then coming soon, I got a website coming out, and hopefully, pretty soon in the future, want to do a food podcast. And then also, I'm on uh, Clubhouse. So. Gotcha. Check me out there. Well, hey, keep us tuned as far as the podcast and the the website goes. We're going to want to know more about that. We're going to want to visit in and check that out. 
So hold on just a second there, Eric. I'm going to send our listeners on out. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation tonight. The special treat of Eric being able to open up a little bit about his lineage and just really taking stuff to the next level. Like, yeah, we can have a Brunswick stew that's traditional here in the U.S., especially in Virginia. But at the same time, to then find those deeper roots going way back to the old world style of cooking. I don't want to say depression era, but that whole idea of we have to use what we have. We have to be thankful for the harvest that we've got. Again, me playing around on Google Translator and coming around with the whole idea of pharamesis and celebrating the wild harvest. I feel some of this old world head nodding and a tip of the cap over to the Sicilian side is a great way to utilize venison or any other wild game that you're chasing. So folks, as you're going through in this season of harvest, continue to always think about the opportunities that you've been gifted with and to think about the wonderful bounty that's been laid before you. But as you handle that bounty, always keep your knives shut.